Welcome to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. Well, many thanks for joining us on the Journal of Biophilic Design. We're really thrilled to be joined by Nigel Osland, who's, uh, in his words, off his website, is inquisitive environmental psychologist, is an avid behaviorist, a statistics sleuth, an agent of change, a broadcaster, and a respected author. Um, Nigel helps organizations and individuals improve their creativity, innovation, and well-being, and as well as their performance. Um, he's worked all over the world, and uh, Nigel, I'm really thrilled you can join us today. Welcome. Yeah, looking forward to it. <laughs> you won't be saying that at the end of it, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're going to chat about your new book, Beyond the Workplace Zoo, um, and also your new uh, designated sort of, you know, your workplace solution, um, the landscaped office which I'm really intrigued yep. about. Um, but uh, first, we're going to set the scene. So um, I'm going to obviously look at different environmental and human issues that affect the workplace as well. But could you um, just as sort of in brief, just explain people um, who you are and what you do, please? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Nigel Osland, and I started life as a researcher. I spent 11 years working for a government research agency, the Building Research Establishment, where I honed my skills looking for how we can improve people's comfort, performance and well-being, not just in the workplace, actually, but I started by looking at how we can do that in homes as well, believe it or not. And after about after the 11 years and, and after getting my doctorate and so on, they were really good to me. They put me through all sorts of education. But after the 11 years, I decided that I needed to go out into the real world and apply my knowledge. And I think that's what gave me this grounding for evidence-based design and, and a human-centric approach to workplace design as well. And, and again, I started my consulting career, if you like, by critiquing buildings because my, the last thing I did at the BRE was I set up a unit where we did what we call post-occupancy evaluation. So basically you go into organizations and you work out whether the building is actually supporting the people in, inside it. And that's how I got into consulting. And then eventually people said, you can't just keep coming in here and telling us what we're doing wrong. You need to tell us what we're doing right in the, and how we can do things better in the first place. And that's what kind of led me into design. But, but, but I don't class myself as a designer. Uh, I class myself as someone who goes into organizations, understands the requirements, and then converts that into a design brief or workplace strategy. And then I work alongside designers and architects to help create that tangible space. So with that in mind, I mean, obviously this, this book that you've been researching and writing, uh, Beyond the Workplace Zoo, humanizing the office and I know you just mentioned about you know the sort of focusing on the on the human element within yeah. workplace design um obviously workplace zoo is a very intriguing title <laughs> can yeah. you tell us what it's referring to it's it comes from several different directions I, I think it all started with um, many years ago when my kids a little bit younger we, we used to go to lots of zoos I, we love zoos and of course we're just around the corner from Whipstade Zoo but it was actually Colchester Zoo and I was really impressed at how the animal enclosures how, the, how they've developed since the days of the the old Victorian zoos with cages and the animals kind of 
been very listless and they had poor health care and they certainly didn't reproduce and now the zoos they've kind of said actually if we want our animals to be healthier and reproduce we need to make sure that the enclosures suit the animal and the different species so i was really impressed with how all the different enclosures um, match the needs of the, of the different species and i and i say that <clears throat> we might be the same species but we're very different animals and it struck me that when i went back to the office the offices always seem the same they're all homogenous regardless of the human needs and a, a big part of my book is the fact that we're we're, we, we all have slightly different needs in terms of individual needs. Okay, we have to do some groupings, but I think what happens quite often in design is we forget we're different and we design for the average. <clears throat> and uh, there's not many people who are actually average. <laughs> we're quite a range of people. So that's, that's where one element of where it came from. And what I discovered is uh, a, a fellow environmental psychologist called Judith Hairwagon. She actually did a nice thesis about how office design can learn from zoo, modern zoo design. So that that I thought, oh, I am done. I'm not the first to do that, but I'm I'm, I'm stealing that. And then uh, there's other references, like I was a big fan of Desmond Morris, but yeah, but I, I stopped. Back when I was about 16, we actually did social sciences. I went to college and I was really into Desmond Morris. He, he had a first book everyone knows about, The Naked Ape. His second book was called The Human Zoo. <clears throat> and that's because he, he said people refer to the concrete jungle. They refer to about um, living in the concrete jungle. And he's saying that's unfair because a jungle is a natural state and a, and a jungle is nature. And that's what people thrive, or what animals people would thrive in. Where, so he said it's not a concrete jungle because it's not natural. It's actually more like a zoo. And I think he was referring to those old zoos of, as I said, caged animals and so on. So that, that, so that was a bit. And then there's a guy called Nigel Risner, fellow Nigel, there's not many of us about these days. And it's a, it's a dying it's a dying name apparently, but there is a and I blame Farage for that. But that's another matter. Maybe you don't put that in. But then um, there's Nigel Risner, and he he's got this whole thing about how he categorises people as different animals in the zoo, and it's all about communication skills, and we communicate differently depending on which animal we are. So that all came together, and I just thought it's a great title because I think. When you look at levels of satisfaction and how current modern offices support well-being and performance, they're not doing very well. You can look at my own data sets or that of Leesman and, and people like that. And so I think what we've done is created the workplace zoo. It's a derogatory term. And that's why the book is beyond the workplace zoo, because it's like, how do we get out of this? How do we go to something that is a little bit more natural and more in line with our, our human needs, our innate needs and, and, and others? I mean, obviously, with that, with that in mind, I mean, why is it important now more than ever that we actually turn to the human element in design? Yeah, I think that's a fair question. And, and obviously, there's, there's loads of things happened over the last year or so. I think... I mean, first of all, I, I think over the years, what's happened is my industry, the corporate real estate industry, the facilities management industry, it's had this obsession with reducing cost and saving money. And I think what's happened as a consequence of that is we've driven down the space in offices. So, so the, 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 way, the best way to save money in an office is to 
take away the, the space, take away the office. It's, it's after people. It's it's the it's the biggest uh, apparently the biggest overhead for many organisations. So we've been driving down costs by taking away space, and this has led to uh, densification of the offices. And again, there's a lovely analogy with, with with the animal kingdom. In the animal kingdom, when when dens uh, when habitats get overpopulated that's when you get disease and it's when the the, the, the animals are, have, to, have to move away from each other and so on and i think what's happened over the years in offices is we've overdensified, and that's led to problems with noise with comfort across infection and uh, it just means the buildings can't cope with things like just temperature uh, control and management so we've got an opportunity right now because what's happening is we've not been in those workplaces for for a year or so and already the industry is saying ah well if we work from home occasionally two or three days a week we don't need as much space we can reduce the space we can get rid of more of our office space it's like no hold on it's already over dense this is actually an opportunity to fix it to reduce the density, to actually create space that is attractive to people, that helps their performance, that helps their well-being, and that might be by looking at things like certainly how we, we we can add some biophilic design to it, but also simple things like people are missing that kind of social interaction, that sense of belonging, that collaboration, and that's the bit that we 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 need to put back into offices. So I think we can reduce the desks mm -hmm. because people won't won't be there so often we can desk share the dreaded hot desking but but i think there are ways of doing it properly and then what we do with the space that we've we've removed the desk from that's where we put in the social space the collaboration space and and, and other features and also quiet space and spaces for concentration because i think we sometimes forget that you, you, the, the way it's kind of happening at the moment is people saying, oh, we can do our focus work at home and then we just come into the office for collaboration and social life. But actually, there's a lot of people who can't focus and concentrate at home because of their personal circumstances. They might have family around or they might be in bed sits or, or whatever. So we still need to cater for the different animals and the different people coming into the office and not assume again, not fall into that trap of thinking we know the answer for what everyone wants and give everyone the same solution. It, it's all about choice and variety and offering that choice and variety. Well, absolutely. Um, I mean, you, you've obviously touched on the different personality traits. I mean, that's what kind of where it comes down to as well, isn't it? And you mentioned that at the beginning. I mean, have you got a couple of examples maybe that you've worked on or that you've witnessed or seen or you've kind of monitored or whatever during your research um, with like, you know, sort of contrasting examples, maybe where, where the wrong personality type has been in the wrong environment? <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's that's the easy that's the easy one to spot. I mean, I think I think the biggest mistake a lot of organisations still make is that they they put the introverts and the extroverts in the same space. And and it's not just about. I mean, personality is important. I actually found some in some of my original research that personality was a bigger factor than role. But you normally talk about role and personality together, and and then, and they go hand in hand anyway because certain certain jobs attract different people so the, the the kind of stereotypes are that the uh, extrovert outgoing person is more likely to be in sales or marketing or something like that whereas your analysts your 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 people who deal with numbers and detail they tend to be more introverted so so you can start to look at how both personality and role uh, affect our requirements 
but you'll be surprised how many organizations still mix it up and you've got people who are trying to do focused work and they're introverts it's sitting only you know a couple of blocks of desks away from people who are on the phone and and are kind of love walking around and talking and chatting so you see that all the time and and we can control for that and people say oh it's it's, it's a real pain to control for that but what i find really interesting is that a lot of organizations now do personality profiling to to, to find people and find where to put them in the organization and where which roles they're best suited to but then they just bomb them all in the same space and hope they get on with it and as i say going back to my analogy of the zoo can you imagine putting all the different animals in one cage yeah. it, it, it would be, you, you could put certain animals together you know the, the, the zebras and the gazelles and the, uh, they all kind of work nicely together but you wouldn't put them in a cage next to some lions tigers or, or, or whatever they kind of um, wouldn't wouldn't quite work um but having said that if you create a nice watering hole they do all come together and they seem to get on so um so we see lots of bad examples and i the, the very first design job i did but again i was the consultant not the designer and it was for a new part of ibm so it shows you how long ago this was and we actually found that in this organization there were two main types of animal there were the the the, the spots the nerds the, the programmers the coders and they were like deep down and they just like they for some reason they like dark rooms and they just like typing away and doing their stuff but when they come up for air they like to go somewhere where they can socialize and chat and have a natter and share things and then on the other side we had people who were more on the sales and marketing side so on the phones a lot or, or out and about a lot and we found that when they came for a break they just wanted to chill and relax and kind of just calm things down so in in that it was only a small organization i'd say 150 200 people in that organization the breakout spaces we divided them between kind of ones that were more like an american diner they even had a bar but an american diner and they were kind of jazzy and funky and then we had spaces that were more like um, a kind of business lounge and a bit more quiet and subdued with books around them and so on yeah, well, that's that's nice. I mean, you mentioned earlier just now about the watering hole, which I thought was a really good analogy, actually, isn't it? The sort of the do people do mix, but that's really interesting. The different personality types. I was chatting to David Acoyman of Nook Pods, and we we're both saying that you know we need lots of color and lots of noise and stuff around us, but then we need that quiet thing to kind of get stuff done, and you know, so you have yeah. these multiple needs even within yourself. Even with even extroverts need quiet space and, and introverts need need to socialize and and I say the only solution is to offer that variety. Don't just think oh yeah we we need this space with this space with beans and uh, this space with bean bags and slides and lots of vibrant color. Oh everyone's going to love that because there's going to be people who hate it and it's not and they're not going to perform or, or feel um, so good about themselves as a consequence of it and also they might they feel pressurized about it there's something in america about um, susan kane talks about the extrovert ideal which is where the introverts pretend to be extrovert because that's what organizations are looking for and there's a consequence they're even more out of their comfort zone and, and the research i've done with uh, ecophon and uh, where we again in the literature and our own research whilst it might not be obvious that people are a bit of a fish out of water and they're kind of in the wrong environment 
what we believe is it's just putting extra mental strain on them. So, and so they go home fatigued yeah. because they're having to cope with being in the environment that's not best for them. Yeah. Uh, in your book, you talk about psychophysics. So I mm. want to talk about psychophysics. Um, obviously, maybe some of our listeners know what psychophysics is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you're sort of obviously exploring the different environmental conditions that we need um, to ensure we perform um, at our best. But can you can you explain what psychophysics is, please? So psych psychophysics, it's early stuff. Yeah, this is um, this is like early 1900s, and it it was the the first kind of psychological. It was the first piece of psychology where they started to explore the relationship between man and and the physical environment. So what, what they appreciated is that we react to the environment in particular ways. And even the psychophysical and they and they use lots of basic tests. So they would put people in I don't know climate chambers and look at the effect of temperature on people's comfort, on their satisfaction, on their performance, and so on. So it's basically just the we want to know the psychological reaction to a physical stimuli mm -hmm. but but it's kind of as an environmental psychologist we find that a little bit old-fashioned and out of date now because what what people like Kurt Lewin and, and, and others have said again right in the early days is that the way each of us in, interact with the environment and the way each of us react to it is different and, and the kind of psychophysicists missed that they, again they were treating us as this one entity and we all want the same thing but what this environmental psychologist says actually the way we respond to an environment is as much dependent on you your psychology your personality your cognition your your, your mood all of those things affect us differently so so we we in, we all we all react to a phys the same physical stimuli slightly different mm. and that's where it gets interesting and and, and i guess you might I hadn't thought about this before, but you might say that maybe sometimes what happens when it comes to the design is we, we're thinking in those old psychophysical terms. We think there's a, a stimulus and a single response that we all have the same, whereas actually what the environmental psychologists would argue is that we all react differently. So we have to uh, create different spaces. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it, really? Because, you know, we are we are all different and it's nice that that's more recognised, hopefully. <laughs> um, and, you know, if people read your book, then hopefully they'll, they'll take you on board and 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 do um, and do that. But I was going to say, let's probably we should move on to the landscaped office, your your sort of uh, concept for the, the sort of new workplace solution. Um, I mean, you say it's based on the Bureau Landschaft, the German um, sort of concept. I mean, maybe, can you explain what your, you know, sort of what the landscaped office is yeah right, yeah again I'm, I'm i'm not going to claim to have invented this I, I i tend to see my version of the landscaped office as a as a newer modern version of bureau landschaft as you just mentioned so bureau landschaft um, developed by the quick warner brothers in the uh, 1950s 1960s no earlier 1940s and 1950s and it was the first full open plan design concept Be before then we, we we would have had cellular offices and the, the the germans wanted something a little bit more egalitarian a bit more open um it's very good it was it, it had um had had lots of uh, open spaces had lots of um, planting actually it had screens and so on but but the concept was that it was a large open space rather than the building being being divided 
and there were a couple of issues with acoustics in those days, possibly because they didn't have enough screening and it was too open. So what, what I've uh, basically said with is my version, the, the, the literal translation is the office landscape, so landscaped office, and again, others have referred to that. But I wanted just to bring the viewer landschaft up to date. So what I've suggested is that I, you know, I'm not a fan of putting people in private offices um, or small cages, uh, even if even though they cannot leave the door open. I, I think we do need an environment where people can mix, but that environment also needs to be very varied a little bit. It can't just be a massive open plan space full of desks with no screens, high density. This is this is what we're doing or what we have been doing in, uh, in, in the UK for some time is we've been just saying thinking of open plan as these highly dense um, seas of deaths. And, and that doesn't work. And that's very unnatural for us. As, as, as humans, we like nooks and crannies. We certainly need acoustic privacy, visual privacy and, and so on. But at the same time, we need access to daylight. We need access to people. So what I've proposed is that we have an environment which is a bit more varied. It, it's neither fully open plan and it's neither uh, private offices. It, it's in the middle and it's lower density and it has a range of screens and lots of different spaces, areas for people to go. So we'll have quiet spaces, even quiet zones. We'll have uh, meeting spaces, social spaces. And the idea is that we create this uh, rich textured landscape with, with different uh, zones and different different spaces for different people. Okay, and, and as biophilic design fits into this then? Yeah, yeah, as I mentioned, even, even the original Pure Landschaft, they, we didn't call it biophilic design then, but even the uh, original Pure Landschaft talked about introducing plants and things. Now, to have a little issue with biophilia when people think it's just about plants and landscape, because um, I I come at it from an evolutionary psychologist point of view and the evolutionary psychologist basically saying that we've got these innate preferences. We have this affinity to nature, biophilia, and we have innate preferences based on the fact that we evolved to survive and live on the African savanna. And we've only been in modern offices for about 100 years and the brain just hasn't caught up. So what, does, what, what do we still like? And yeah, we, we like plants. Um, we, we always feel a bit better, don't we, when, when we're out in the countryside. And, and there's lots of studies to show how plants can re-energize us and how they can help with uh, creativity and, and so on. But also it's about good daylight. It's about natural ventilation. It's about not having a single set point temperature. It must be 22 degrees and not fluctuate because in the real world, temperatures vary. And, and what we want is to be able to choose the spot. You know, sometimes I want to lie in the sun and I want to I get a tan or, or, or burn as I usually do. But sometimes I want to sit in a shade under the shade in a tree. And I want the choice. I don't want to be dictated and told that, no, you have to be in this single temperature. So we love things like, uh, I said, natural ventilation. We, you know, we, we like to hear the rustling of the leaves. Uh, we like the sound of uh, waves lapping on the shore. There is kind of biophilic soundscapes, which, which are also important to us. We, as humans, we don't like complete quiet because in the real world, in, in the natural world, that indicates danger. It normally means there's a fire or a predator or, or bad weather coming. So I think these are all the things that we can learn from 
in terms of biophilic design and, and introduce into the office. And as I said, people like Bill Browning at uh, Terrapin Bright Institute, they, he's done loads of good literature reviews to show you how biophilic design can help well-being performance. And also, um, I, I still think his book, The 14 Principles of Biophilic Design, is one of the uh, greatest pieces just on how we can... Um, power cut then. Got a storm coming. <laughs> just the lights went off on us. It's obviously storm coming. Interesting. Yeah. Um, there you go. There's thunder. Yeah. You probably can't hear it on the mic. I've, I've got it this end as well. We've got it <laughs> here as well. So good. Yeah. Crazy storm. So we're both going to cut out in a minute. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so I was talking about uh, Bill Browning with his uh, 14 principles of biophilic design. I, 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 you know, it's free and it's, it's a great, uh, it's a great um, a resource. And I actually include that in, in, in the book. Um, as well as uh, other, other references to, to biophilic design. But, but my, my point is, it's not just about yeah. putting a few plants on a desk. Um, actually, the, the, probably the most important bit of that is the fact that people can tend to them. And, 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 and so um, I was around a large uh, computer organization's offices and they, in their breakout spaces, they had uh, hydroponic systems. Uh, where they were growing lettuces and tomatoes for people to add to their sandwiches which so i think it's more about that and then and then of course the other one the big one that i, I haven't mentioned yet is that we're social animals that's part of our nature and it's always been about coming together to share stories that's that's part of our communication to share food to sit around you know a fire and, and, and all of that and again i think it's really important to create those kind of space not necessarily a fire pit although actually if you've got an outdoor space why not uh, and, and actually outdoor social spaces are brilliant and uh, but i think it's really important to create those spaces where people can come take time out from work and and kind of chat to each other and mix regardless of their personality type and again some previous research i did is about around collaboration and it's saying that one you know the foundations for collaboration are respect and trust and that comes through social interaction so whilst i i when i said work and use air quotes actually social interaction at in the office is important in terms of work itself weirdly <laughs> <laughs> well i suppose if you take it back to what biophilia really is and if you read E.O. wilson's book it's about life it's about living organisms yeah. living things it's not just about greenery it's not just about plants and nature it's yeah. it's about and as you said and it's a really true thing if you know around a fire pit communication storytelling sharing ideas sharing fears worries laughter you know all yeah. of that food yeah. you know it's yeah. all these things it's um i think it's a really important um aspect of of actually biophilic design that we should incorporate in our lives all the time you know yeah. um so you're saying about the different uh, sort of the landscaped office i've kind of in my mind i've got like a kind of zoned landscaped office sort of um delineate delineated with by um you know colorways like biophilic colors and and sort of textures uh, yeah. and maybe 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 planted screens or living walls and all that kind of stuff as well but um you know you mentioned different temperatures as well i mean imagine doing that with lighting yeah. as well and so definitely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, again there's um uh the Leesman did, did some research where they actually found that people are starting to now choose to sit uh, in the spaces which which they they prefer in terms of comfort 
rather than having to sit next to colleagues. I mean, that, that's a big part of it as well. But actually, if you give variety, so if you create, like you said, different zones with lighting and temperature and noise levels and so on, then people start to choose the ones that work better for them. I, I probably wouldn't go as far as using colored zones, but, but certainly maybe using different types of natural materials or different patterns to distinguish the zones. And I wouldn't use walls to determine the zones. I would use screening like you mentioned, uh, maybe some living walls or some uh, bamboo screening and uh, but, but kind of semi-partitioning. It doesn't have to be totally enclosed. It, it just has to have levels of screening. And you can also use height a little bit as well. I, I, another one of my analogies, which wasn't in the book, but I always talk about what we can learn from pubs in terms of office design. Because in a pub, there's different spaces and they're on different levels and they're different levels of enclosure. Mm -hmm. So some people go into the pub and they'll sit at the bar and they're basically saying, I'm open for a chat, anyone mm -hmm. fancy chat? And then other people go in and they'll find a dark little corner with their laptop and they're basically saying, leave me alone, I wanna be on my own. But, you, but we're providing that variety. So I think, again, that's what office design is about, providing the different spaces so the animals can find the space that best suits them. <laughs> and so what do you think the benefits are going to be? I mean, you know, I've, I've sort of any, I mean, have you got an example maybe of like where um, this bureau, what was the Bureau of Landshaft? Yeah, it is. It's a yep. landscaped office um, has been, in, you know, incorporated <clears> in, a, in an office or a workplace and, um, and, and sort of maybe using maybe maybe an example yeah. of where um, it's been used to the benefits of, of the staff. Again, it's a, it's a real, it's quite, it's a good question, but it's a difficult one for me to answer because yeah. I think what I've seen is bits of it. So you, you occasionally see, you, you go into an office, oh, that's a great idea. I love what they've done there. And that's a great idea. And then you'll see something else go, that doesn't make sense. And I think designers are very good at working, designing the, ancillary the facilities the support spaces but we're still kind of getting the main desk areas wrong and assuming that because we've given them all that nice space over there we've now got to cram everyone into this space over here so so i haven't seen a, a great example but but what i can say is going back to evidence-based design again there's lots of research out there and, and, and i have included it in, in in the book and also i'm working with iwfm which is the institution of workplace and facilities managers and we're we're creating a tool to help people run a cost-benefit analysis to determine the return on workplace investment, we call it, the return on workplace investment. So the idea is that um, what are the best design solutions, where, where should we be spending money in order to enhance performance? And again, we've used over 200 different studies to help us come up with some numbers. So you can plug those numbers into your cost-benefit analysis and it'll tell you about the tangible what we normally consider the less tangible, but the actual tangible benefits of incre increased efficiency and performance. Because again, what happens in our industry is it's like, oh, we can't measure performance and we can't measure well-being, so we'll just focus on space and cost. And we know if we take that down, we're saving money. But the problem with doing that, and if you can't, and 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 here's the funny thing: people say we can't measure performance or well-being. And they've, so they've admitted they can't measure it. So what they'll do is they'll reduce the space and then they can't see the, the, the downside, the, the negative impact of it because they've admitted they can't measure it or they're not willing to measure it. I would say there's plenty of studies out there where they have measured it. And it's really important that you consider the impact of space and design on, on performance and well-being. 
Cool. Um, well, before I ask you the final question, which is the magic question I ask everybody in this in this podcast, um, the uh, what, what do you hope is going to be the outcome of publishing this book? I mean, what do you, do you hope the workplace is going to change? I mean, what what do you what would you hope? What would be the yeah. idea? Of the yeah, I. <laughs> it's taken me twenty years to write this book, so there's there's a lot gone into it in terms of my experience and my thinking and. And, and I was quite guilty, I would say, in the early 90s of focusing on efficiency and not really focusing on people. So I've kind of gone back to my roots as a psychologist and said, well, given a blank sheet of paper, what would we actually do to create the ultimate space? And, and I think that's what we've got to do. We've got to stop thinking about property as a cost burden and start thinking about it as a real great opportunity to get our people to perform better to 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 feel better to attract the right people and so on so i'd, I'd love there to be some kind of movement around this where we just say actually this, this is what offices are about this is what we've got to do we've got to focus on just making it better for people but having said that I'm, i'd just be happy if people have a have a look <laughs> have a read of the book and and work it out for themselves i'm not saying that my landscaped office is the only solution but but we need to look at the evidence to understand what the right solution is being and, and what, what the right solution would be. And, and, and sadly, I, I've worked with a lot of architects and, and, and designers. And I think quite often they still don't get it. They, I've been in places where we've been doing designs and I've said things like, I, 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 talk, tell me why you've done that as a design. So there was a great example where I was working with an organization and they a lot of their people were doing focus, concentrate where they, they, they were marking. They were, it wasn't education, but they were marking papers for, 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 for a particular industry and doing certifications. Kind of got to get it right. This is, this is like life uh, kind of stuff. And the architects decided that a 16 seat open plan meeting space in the middle of all that would be really good. And I, was, I, I don't get it. Why, why have you done that? How do you think that's going to work? And their answer was, well, it works for us. We really like it. It's like, yeah, but you're, you're architects doing design and probably quite outgoing agrarians. These are people who like focusing country. And, and I still think today, we, if you don't brief architects and if you don't look at the evidence and guidance, then there's um, unfortunately a risk that they'll then design it for what they want what they want, whatever animal they are, rather than designing it for, for, for those other animals. Lovely. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm going to put a, a link on the, the website, the journal of biophilicdesign.com. And um, I'll also put it on the bottom of the YouTube channel um, as well. So people who are listening can, can find the link directly if they, 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 they go to the website. Um, so we, should, we should say the book. The book's not actually out till September, so, um, yeah, so this, is, this is the first first um, big interview with talking about the book. So um, yeah, it's not out for what's that six months or, or so, but um, yeah, yeah do, three months. Do, do three, months. <laughs> three months. It's going to come around quickly. That's the thing. So and, and what the good thing is about this that if people want to contact you or communicate with you or find out more information they can they can contact you I'll, I'll put the link to your website and yeah i i've i've created a shortcut url called workplacezoo.com so it's nice and easy lovely well um listeners if you're if you're there workplacezoo.com uh, make sure you go and visit and um i'm sure he's got a newsletter and if he hasn't he will have by the end of this 
<laughs> so, um, but Nigel, many thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. And um, yeah, and this sort of final question that I ask everybody, um, if you could paint the world with this magic brush of biophilia, what would the landscaped office look like? Ah, okay. I, well, I've kind of touched on a lot of it, haven't I? For, for, for me, I, I think that office has got to have lots of nooks and crannies, lots of social space, lots of choice, lots of different settings so I can decide whether I'm in a kind of open social mood or whether I need to hide myself away and focus and contemplate or whatever. So for me, it's just all about variety and choice. We, we've got to provide different work settings so people can choose the one that they want, that they prefer, rather than assuming we know what everyone wants because that we can't design like that. We can't just keep designing these homogenous layouts, assuming that we know what everyone wants. And, 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 and even worse, that assuming that everyone's the same because we're not. We're different. We should celebrate the fact that we're different. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. <laughs>